Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Hello, and welcome to Matters of the Mind on the Coffee Clatch. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Deibler, clinical psychologist and executive director of the Center for Emotional Health of Greater Philadelphia. Today, I welcome our guest, clinical psychologist Dr. Anne-Marie Albano. Dr. Albano is a professor of medical psychology and psychiatry at Columbia University and the director of the Columbia University Clinic for Anxiety and Related Disorders. Dr. Albano is a fellow of the American Psychological Association, founding fellow of the Academy of Cognitive Therapy, a Beck Institute scholar, and is board certified in clinical child and adolescent psychology. She is a very well-accomplished clinician, researcher, and author, and I could go on and on about her accomplishments. She's highly respected in her field. I'm so pleased to have her with us today. Welcome, Dr. Albano. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Sure. Last year, I saw Dr. Obano speak on the treatment of OCD in children and adolescents, and I was really struck by her unique approach in not only focusing on the evidence-based treatment of the presenting psychiatric disorder, but also focusing on the developmental disruption that psychopathology can have on youth that really needs to also be addressed in treatment. And so I've invited Dr. Albano to speak with us today about this very important and yet often very much so under-addressed developmental task of transitioning to adulthood. So, Dr. Albano, can you tell us a little bit about the skills that adolescents need to possess in order to successfully make that transition? Yes. Well, and I'm, I'm so glad you're focusing the show on this today because developmental milestones, this is something that we tend to think once a child is potty trained, learns how to tie their own shoes, um, you know, that they're done. Essentially, they go on into childhood, go through school, and we don't think about there are actually steps all the way through into adulthood that uh, kids uh, into adolescents need to accomplish so that we know that they are developing and refining the skills that it takes to manage their lives. Um, And so parents have to think about, where they want their child to be this year, next year, five years from now, and so forth. So some of the tasks that adolescents need to accomplish involve um, being able to regulate and manage their own emotions. That's like one of the keys. Mm. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, when you think about this, it's everything from 
soothing themselves when they are upset. They're disappointed in a grade they got. Uh, they had a conflict with a peer, and they're upset by that, or a relationship, especially, you know, adolescence is a time for making up and breaking up, right? They have to be able to soothe themselves. Um, they have to be able then to think through what is the challenge, what options do I have here, how do I problem solve to move forward in an emotional situation. They also need to know how to do things independently. And ask any family, I mean, when you think about this, ask any parent, um, what are the things that really get you upset about your teenager? Oh, they never do mm -hmm. things on their own. They don't complete any task. I have to sit on them to do homework. I have to sit on them to get to bed on time. I have to wake them up in the morning. These things have to be done on your own, right? And so just to have behavioral independence from the parents, that's important. Um, and there's a whole host of other developmental tasks from controlling and taking responsibility for their health care and medical care um, to interacting with people and having a good sense of the social world um, and completing their education. There's lots of things that also go along with the developmental tasks of adolescence. Yes, I'm wondering, because a lot has really changed in terms of what adolescents are faced with in the last, you know, 20 years since the advent of social media and the Internet and um, college becoming sort of the new high school, has the developmental process of transitioning to adulthood changed over time, and why might it be challenging for emerging adults to transition at this point? Well, that's a very good question, and it actually is a focus of study by developmental psychologists. And in actuality, Jeffrey Jensen Arnett is a developmental psychologist at Clark University who coined the phrase or the term emerging adulthood um, as a new phenomenon that has happened over the last 25 years or so whereby um, rather than launching out of high school into a job or into college and then a job and, and taking on adult roles, including marriage and family, early, uh, which is something that happened in the 50s. You, you got out of high school and you went into the family business or you got a job. You started a family. By, most people had children by the age of 23. Now what's happening is these things are delayed. And they're partly delayed because there's been all sorts of revolutions, the sexual revolution um, and various things that have changed the landscape. And so we don't find women just going into traditional roles. There's more options and also multiple roles that women take on. We also find, um, for instance, that the um, economy has changed, again, the nature of what we do and how we do it. So there aren't readily made jobs for youth to go into anymore. I don't know about others listening, but when I was in high school, my, one of my high school jobs for three years was working in a grocery store. Nowadays, working in grocery stores are, are jobs that adults keep for the long term. There isn't the bag boy who's a high school student and the cashier is a high school student. They are people who have graduated. So um, jobs have gone offshore. Various things have happened. So the economy um, dictated also some change in adapt adaptation. 
for youth. Um, so there's a number of secular trends that just have made developmentally um, an extension of the time before you become fully independent. Now, the catch, though, is that youth who are challenged with anxiety or depression or any mental health problem in, in a lot of ways, but those that have more significant play and those that have caused them dysfunction in just meeting normative milestones, um, these kids have a tougher time with these transitions. And part of the problem is because parents, in their efforts to help these kids, um, get drawn into behaviors that could uh, backfire, and instead of uh, reassuring or comforting the youth, it winds up overtaking them, and the youth then have the parents doing these things for them again and again, and they don't learn the skills they need to, to make it into adulthood. And that really becomes a challenge. Yeah, um, we see all the time kids who are struggling with different kinds of anxiety disorders, for example, and they're so caught up in trying to manage that anxiety and trying to decrease the symptoms and really focusing on that, that they're really not developing the life skills that they should be at that particular age. We see it, absolutely. Yeah, and what we've would actually, you say, uh, um, what, I was just going to say yeah, that the <laughs> clinical trials that have been done in developing treatments over the last 30 years, uh, this is the uh, psychological treatments like cognitive behavioral therapy or interpersonal therapy, as well as medications. They don't address the family context, and they don't address functioning, how the individual functions um, as primary for what the treatment is supposed to do. The treatments have been geared towards relieving the anxiety symptoms, relieving the depression, managing the ADHD symptoms. But what I argue, and you heard this at the uh, New Jersey presentation, what I argue and what has been found is the younger a youth um, is when their anxiety, mood, or behavioral disorder onsets, what happens is they are not then keeping track with their peers in terms of development. And so they're that much further behind. It's not just symptom remission or relief from anxiety that we should be targeting. We should have all along been looking at how are they functioning and do these treatments get them back on track to function at the same level as their peers. And that's what we have now, you know, we have been doing over the last number of years. We have been trying to um, put the family and development into the picture in a way that gives the kids more bang for the treatment buck and gets them back into the game. Tell us a little bit about that, about the, the launching Emerging Adolescents and Adults program in your clinic. What does the model involve, and how does it help young adults gain independence? Yes, so it's it's a different model than what is traditional in therapy. And when I say traditional, I just mean therapy in general. This isn't unique to, uh, the, the, to uh, any school of thought, whether it's psychodynamic or cognitive behavioral. Traditionally, therapists look that uh, if it's an adolescent, they come into the therapist's office and the parents are left outside. For the most part, um, they develop, uh, the goal is developing a relationship with the teenager or the young adult, focusing on them and, and what they're doing, but parents are left out 
because the thought is always you don't want anything to contaminate or for the adolescent or young adult to think you're working on behalf of the parents. Our approach is very different. We know that from now, from all the research that's been done, anxiety and and mental health problems do tend to run in families for various reasons. Sometimes there's a family history. Sometimes it's that these disorders change the nature of the family, and a lot of things can happen then within the family. But whatever the situation that led to it, these disorders are present in at least one individual, and the nature of their relationships and functioning changes within the family. And they're looked at differently from family members. We have to have the parents involved. We don't leave them at the door. We invite them in with the youth to sit together and develop goals and agree upon how they are going to interact around achieving these goals Um, We help parents to see when to be involved in a situation with their teenager and how and when to back off. We help the teenagers to communicate a bit more effectively with their parents their needs, and we address a lot of the fighting back and forth. But the main thing is that we work on two different systems, the adolescent taking responsibility to manage their own anxiety symptoms and then the adolescent and parent together working on a developmental hierarchy of situations where the parents are giving over to the adolescent control for for doing the things and learning how to do the things that will make them more independent and age-appropriate. So it's a collaborative model. There's definitely individual sessions for the youth. There's definitely confidentiality for the youth. But there's also a tr- what we call transition sessions for the parents and the youth together. How do you get past that initial frustration? I mean, parents can understandably become frustrated with their young adults who have yet to transition successfully, and they might see them as lazy or significantly lacking in motivation or direction while they find themselves at a loss for what to do and what not to do about Uh, helping to bring about that change, and that's why they're coming to you. But from the young adult's perspective, how might they view that situation that they're in, and how do you get them on the same page and ready to tackle this together? Well, what we use is a combination of techniques that arise from uh, family therapy, from more traditional therapy, and also cognitive behavioral problem solving in family therapy, where, uh, you know, it depends on the family Sometimes I get them to do some role plays where they're acting as the other person. So the the adolescent is role-playing being the parent. The parent is role-playing being the adolescent. The point being to try and get them to take the other's perspective. That's number one. And there are things, actually, for the parents that I help them to do to actually experience some of the anxiety that the youth has been struggling with. Because once you feel what anxiety feels like, you have a better sense of, oh, my goodness, this isn't simple willfulness on the part of my my teenager. Um, At the same time, we do some exercises to help the teenager feel the frustration that the parent experiences. So we want them all to be able to take each other's perspective. That's one thing. Um, We also work a lot on communication. Because what we find out, actually, and I use mindfulness techniques and such um, with the parents, with the, with the teens, 
what we find out is everybody actually wants the same thing. They want, the parents want their teenager to be doing things comfortably. They don't want their teenager to be suffering. And the teenagers, as much as they might lock down in a lot of oppositional-looking behavior, it's because they're afraid sometimes, they're depressed, um, they're frustrated, they don't know how to turn themselves around. So we use a lot of the techniques that many therapists use, in, but putting them in a concentrated way and also in the frame of what are your, each of your goals for immediate, you know, in the near future, down the line, and now let's look at what hasn't worked, and now let's try some different ways and collaborate together on getting to seeing if we could do some things differently to get there. What a dance that must be! It's uh, it, <laughs> it sounds like a, it sounds like the challenges of family therapy, and <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it sounds quite challenging. What what do you find to be the most challenging in assisting these young adults launch? Well, you know, one of the big things is addressing with the parents. The parents have look. The parents have suffered along with their teenager uh, because anxiety does tend to start by age four or five. There's plenty of data from the National Comorbidity Survey of Adolescents and such. We see anxiety disorders start early and they increase Mm -hmm. in prevalence um, more than any other diagnoses. So the parents have been in this for the long term seeing this process unfold. What happens is often the parents' efforts are trying to prevent more um, perceived failures on the part of their youth. And they don't want their youth to miss out on things. And that's where a lot of frustration comes in. If I didn't help you with your homework, you wouldn't get anything done. If I didn't call these teachers or set up this, this interview for you for college, you wouldn't do it. You know, the parents get frustrated with the things that they have been drawn into doing. And so the earlier we could get in there with the families, the better. I mean, we even use this model in our middle school kids because what we have to help the parents to do is to start stepping back and letting go. Nothing works better than some natural consequences um, in terms of the youth struggling and then also we put the youth in what's called exposure groups. We, um, a big vehicle that we have are groups of five to seven or eight uh, adolescents who are all in the same boat. And we have them role-playing again and again the, the situations that they're not taking responsibility for because of their anxiety. We get them to practice them and then do them on their own, which means they might have to, to flub them a bit They might have to mess up some. Mom and dad have to stand back and let that happen so that the kids can take ownership and and learn how to problem solve. That's hard. It's very hard to do. Absolutely. I'm sure it's very difficult for for parents, especially when they're used to protecting their their kids in this way, to step back and let go. I'm wondering, uh, are there protective factors that young adults might possess that may shield them from the vulnerability to this or build adaptability or resiliency? Is it is it simply having the, the family dynamic function as such that they allow their children to take risks and to fail in, in a, a safe environment? Well, you know, there are a number of, of protective factors 
that are present. And it's so good that you bring this up because people don't think about this, but um, protective factors come along many dimensions. One is social support. If the youth has, from early on, made good friends, and you just need one or two, and there are friends who, can, who are models, not that they're the superstars. We don't want the superstar friends because they're overwhelming. The kids think I can never be like that. But friends who are just naturally reasonable kids who themselves have struggled but have done things, you know, uh, they don't pass every test or they've taken the SATs three times, whatever. Just having friends <laughs> that the kids can bounce thing, things off of is important, and social support has been shown to be one of the major factors across the ages for helping people be resilient and um, pulling themselves up and also for protecting people from big hits from uh, emotional issues. Another thing, then, is having flexibility of mind. And now, if, you're, if you have an anxiety disorder, you're not going to be too flexible. But if the parents can have flexibility of mind, that's going to be very helpful because they're the parents who are willing to let things, like, to, to step back. They're willing to let things go once they, you know, get some coaching on how to work with their adolescent. They see that, and they're like, okay. So they're ready to step back and jump in when we tell them to. Um, and then, of course, a big thing, a big factor that's protective is as long as that youth has not started using alcohol or drugs. And, you, mm-hmm. know, um, you know, I don't want to scare people, but I should scare people. Pot smoking is linked to increased anxiety uh, and the experience of anxiety disorders. Um, alcohol is used by kids very early on to self-medicate, especially in social sit- situations. So if we don't have alcohol or drug use, we know that we, uh, in, a, in a youth, a teenager or young adult, we know that we've got a lot of room to be able to move. We don't have to worry about that problem. So there's a, there are a number of protective elements that work in our favor um, uh, for kids and that parents um, can feel good about if they can think about these things. The other things are like creativity. It's fine with me if your kid is just sitting around, like, drawing pictures all day long. That's art, you know, for them, and that's a way they release. So let's, let's use that in some way. I want to see what creativity. I want to see, are they musical? What are the strengths that they own and, and take responsibility for uh, that they bring in here that we might be able to use and work with? Those are some really great suggestions. How might a parent identify anxious symptoms in children or other signs of difficulties that may lead to future difficulties in successfully becoming independent? And how, what do they do to address those warning signs early on? Okay, so so some of the things to look at, and especially from early on, one is if your youth, your child, you know, even as young as six, seven years of age, especially as they're hitting middle school, if they are always looking to you to solve their crises and their problems. Well, first of all, if, if things become crises, not knowing how to do the homework, not having plans for the weekend but hearing other kids are going to a party, uh, ver- if uh, coming home and saying I wasn't, no one sat with me at lunch or I think the kids were making fun of me, Look at those things. Let's see how real they are and what's going on 
So talk to teachers and take a look there. Um, so if there are issues like that early on, you've got to step in to assess how much is real and how much is the youth is misperceiving what are just everyday situations, but they feel or think they're left out, they're rejected, when actually they're not, you know, they weren't in the place at the time or some, yeah, there was something else that was missed. So we look at their peer and social relationships, whether they mischaracterize them or they have actual peer problems. We look for how they do in school. And so were they going along okay, but they start declining? Is their academic and their, you know, their school progress now going into decline? Why? Is there a learning issue that needs to be addressed, which can be addressed? Or is it that they're getting anxious and so they're just shutting down? They're not turning in homework. They're not speaking in class. I always tell parents, if you go to parent-teacher conferences and the teacher says, oh, you're Mary's parents. I don't even know she's in my class. She's so quiet. That I don't like. <laughs> That's a big warning sign. Why doesn't the teacher know who Mary is and that she's present? So look at what's going on in the classroom and look at what's going on in their academics. Um, Take a look for whether they have a lot of physical complaints. Do headaches, stomach aches, nausea, does this accompany um, situations that are about to happen? Are they always complaining about these things before a test, before an oral report, before a school trip? What are If there's a correlation between these things, it could be that they're anxious about those situations. Or is your child just in general more irritable, uh, not sleeping well, has trouble concentrating? Those are signs of worry. And so that's more pervasive again. And so take a look at that. These are These are the kinds of signs we help parents to look for. Problems with peers, problems with academics, oversensitivity to misreading things, withdrawal or avoidance of situations that may be challenging, and then the somatic sensations of anxiety. And if they do identify some of these things, if listeners are hearing you and saying, oh, my goodness, you know, all of my children, they do seem to manifest some of these difficulties, is there particular are there particular resources that they should look into how can they access assistance yep one of the first things to do and this is so important for families to do don't judge your child don't jump on them and say what is going on here i think you're there's something wrong instead you know take them like out for an ice cream or do something on uh, you know quiet together and say just tell me how you're doing and i know kids oftentimes just clam up but just say, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to hang out with you. I just want to hear how you're doing. So when you're ready to talk, talk to me. Give them opportunities to talk to you about it. Um, be accepting of what they say. Don't jump on them to label how they feel. Just say, well, tell me more about that. If they say, I don't know, things at school are tough, tell me more about that. Um, so give them opportunities. And then say, well, let's see, what do you think we could do together? So you might just start at home with helping him to see and see if they can open up. Otherwise, if the anxiety doesn't go away, if it sticks around for five, six, eight weeks, 
if your child becomes more unhappy, irritable, and withdrawn, and especially if you find that you're having to change the way you parent or the things your family does to accommodate your child and help them feel comfortable, then there's a, then there's a problem. And what I, I encourage parents to do is seek help. Seek help with a child uh, therapist who knows how to do cognitive behavioral therapy because that's the skills-based treatment that helps with anxiety and helps with the transition to adulthood. That's great. And are there, are there resources online where someone could find a cognitive behavioral therapist in their area? There's a lot of good resources to go to. One place that I direct parents all the time is effect, EffectiveChildTherapy.com. Now, the reason why EffectiveChildTherapy.com is important is there are videos for free just online for parents to look at that describe these different conditions and also talk about what kind of help to seek. And then that um, website also has questions to ask therapists to see if they do the kind of treatment that, is, that works. And then you can go to the ADAA.org or ABCT.org. Those are two mm-hmm. organizations, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America and the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies that actually have therapists who um, are on their find a therapist or their clinician referral um, uh, web, you know, parts of their website. So those are good places to go um, to seek help as a first stop. And you could you could put in your area code or zip code and stuff, and and you know find people who are closer to you. Those are wonderful resources. Yes, and most importantly, how can listeners learn more about you and your work? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I do have a book for parents that I think you could get from Amazon, You and Your Anxious Child, that I hope, you know, directs parents. It puts all of what is best and helpful for kids with anxiety, I think, uh, and what to do. But otherwise, you could go to annemariealbano.com or look at our website, New York um, Anxiety Treatment org. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today about managing teen and parent anxiety and transitioning from adolescence to adulthood. And thank you to our listeners for being with us today. We hope you'll join us next time for Matters of the Mind on the Coffee Clatch. As with all shows on the Coffee Clatch, you can find us at www.thecoffeeclatch.com, on iTunes, and on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on the web at www.thecenterforemotionalhealth.com and feel free to head on over to follow me on Twitter at, at Dr. Dibler. Tweet me your thoughts, comments, suggestions anytime. Until next time, thanks for joining us.